Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Amen. Well, hello, everybody. It's good to be with all of you. And uh, as I already mentioned, all of our people online, all that stuff, thank you so much for being with us as well. Uh, I'm going to begin with an incredibly important question. Are you all ready for Thanksgiving? <laughs> I mean, seriously, are you ready? Like, have you got all your stuff? Because you got like three days, just so you know, three, four days. Uh, I, I, here's the thing. I, we do want to say, let me be the first to say happy Thanksgiving if no one said it to you yet. Um, and this week, I just hope you have a great week. This is a great opportunity for us to be reminded of all we have to be grateful for in this life. Amen? I mean, we have a good God we sang about today that has really, his love never stops coming. And I just hope this week your heart is filled with gratitude and your heart is full with love for the people in your life and, of course, for the God who loves you. And so uh, I just wanted to begin with that and say uh, we're thankful for you as well. So with that, are you all ready to go, ready to get into the Word? All right, so we're continuing a series called The Way of Life, which Jesus, of course, he came and he taught and he embodied a way of life, a particular way of life that he then passed to us and said, this is the way that I want you to live. Jesus was actually himself. He called himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so last week, Jesus, I was sharing that last week, Jesus emphatically said to us, that if you don't practice this way of life, life is going to be a struggle. It's going to be tough. That he actually said, I want you to do this. And so today we're doing a message titled, What You Want Matters. So go ahead and look at the person next to you and say, What You Want Matters. Remind them of that when you're choosing lunch later today. All right. So have you ever had, let me ask you, have you ever had a moment when a parent or boss said something to the effect that I don't really care what you want, you're gonna do what I say. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm pretty sure I've said something like this to my kids, you know. You know, they want me to wanting to change the channel and watching football, and I'm like, mm-mm, I don't care what you want, you're gonna do what I say. You know what I mean? And there's a bit of truth to that kind of parental mantra in life. I believe there's a life that is forced upon us, whether we want it or not. I believe that there's um, a system and a way of doing things that the world kind of puts upon each of us that we just have to kind of like it or not, right? I mean, we have to do it whether we like it or not. And, and even before you have a chance to dream about your own life when you're a young person, there's a system of expectations, right, placed upon you, spoken and unspoken, that you're supposed to live into, and that's what your life is going to be, whether you want it or not. And so I'm saying what you want matters, but there's a whole bunch of ways of life that are put upon us whether we want them or not. And so as we talk about the way of life that Jesus calls us to, we have to acknowledge this reality that we're living in a world and culture that has forced a lot on us, that has forced a lot of ways on us. And so I would say that's not all, that the, not all of those ways are intended to be bad. A lot of them have a good intention, of course. But nonetheless, we have to ask ourselves, am I actually doing what I want to do? Not in a selfish sense, but am I doing the things that, that I really, really want deep in me, spiritually speaking? 
Am I doing the ways of Jesus and the way of life, or am I practicing a way of life that is something else? And so, I want to begin in Mark chapter 10, where we find two powerful stories that occur right next to each other that have a lot of meaning for us today. So Mark chapter 10, verse 35, you can open your Bible, you can see it on the screen. Here we go. Then James and John, the the sons of Zebedee, came to him, meaning they came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Which, that's a bold statement, isn't it? I mean, right off the bat, we, we haven't even asked you yet, but we want you to promise to do whatever we ask. That's like when the person comes to you and says, now I have some bad news for you, but you got to promise to not get mad at me when I tell you what I'm about to tell you. Because I did something that you're not going to like, but will you promise not to get mad at me? You're like, I'm already mad at you. <laughs> and so they, they ask this request and Jesus doesn't get angry with them. He doesn't even, but he also doesn't promise to do whatever they ask. He says this profound question. This is one of my favorite Jesus questions. He says, what do you want me to do for you? What you want matters, right? That's what we're talking about today. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, let me give you a little bit of brief commentary on this. James and John were asking to be first in line. They were wanting to cement their status with Jesus. You understand that? They they wanted some prime seats of position and authority. They wanted to be important. They wanted to sit at the right and left of Jesus. This this is like classic self-preservation. This is like we want to make sure our seats are reserved. Are you with me? This is what they're asking for, which honestly is a little bit of a cringy request, isn't it? You're like, did you just say that out loud? Like you want to be first in line? It's kind of awkward, but I will say that we need to notice something, that in the book of John, John doesn't mention this story at all. He's probably a little bit embarrassed by it, but Mark, he's like, oh, I'm putting that in there. He's like, you got to see what James and John did, LOL. You know what I mean? Now, they, the, the truth is their want, their desire is, not, is, is a pretty common, it's not uncommon, right? It's a pretty common desire in the world. Not only today, but historically speaking, this want and this grab for greatness or success or power, authority, it's been, it's been happening for centuries. It's kind of a common human desire, a human want, is to, is to have this way of life that many have subscribed to that, that really seeks control, that seeks some sort of um, security, comfort, self-preservation, so to speak. And, and here they are, they're asking for that. That's what they want. In this instance, Jesus does something. He says, he says to them, no, James and John, I'm not going to give that to you. So he goes as and says that to him. And then he says, in fact, I'm going to school you a little bit about what greatness and success is really all about. And a couple of verses later in verse 43, this is what Jesus said, says to them after he says, no, I'm not gonna, that's not for me to give you. And that's not going to happen. So whoever wants to become great among you, this is what he says in verse 43, must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he's like, listen, I'm not even concerned about my status. Why are you? This is his response to James and John. No, you can't have what you want because your desires, your wants are a little skewed. They're confused. 
And the greatness you, see, you seek, you don't even know anything about it. It's actually found in humility and servanthood. And so he's, he's schooling on all sorts of things. He's trying to reshape their wants because here's what Jesus does. He redirects our wants in order to refocus our hearts. Because whenever we know we are, when our wants are skewed, well, then our hearts are skewed. And he's like, let me, let me redirect your wants. Anybody ever felt God redirecting your wants in order to refocus your heart? And this is what God's wanting to do with all of us all the time. Because he knows that when he does that, he's not only helping you, he's protecting you from yourself. And so God wants to protect you from you because he loves you, because he's good. And he's like, hey, listen, you're going to want some things, and I'm going to go ahead and step in the path, and I'm going to redirect your path, and I'm going to point you in a different direction. And sometimes I'll even tell you no to get you going the right direction. Because I want you to want the right thing. So if you keep reading in Mark 10, the very next passage, it's about a, it's a, about a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. And this is literally the next verse after what I just read. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging, as you do in that day, right? When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now for him to call him son of David, Bartimaeus does have a clue. He's calling him by this name that sort of signals, I believe you're the Messiah, because there was a prophecy about the son of David, the lineage of David, that would be the Messiah. Are you with me? So that's pretty significant. He says, have mercy on me. Many in the crowd rebuked him and told him to be quiet, as they often do whenever you're calling out to Jesus. Be quiet. And he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy mercy on me. Why do you think Jesus stopped? Because Jesus stopped and said, call him. You think if he was just calling, hey, Jesus, hey, dude, hey, guy, hey, mister, you know what I mean? No, he says, Jesus, Messiah, son of David. Jesus is like, who's that guy? He has a clue. Who's that guy? He has some faith to call me Messiah publicly. And so he says, stop, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up. Oh, there they are, that crowd, as fickle as they are. Shut up, be quiet, cheer up, you know, whatever. On your feet, he's calling you. So Bartimaeus comes, walks to Jesus, right? And then Jesus asks him this question. Verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? The same question, right, he asked James and John, Mark is up to something here. It's no coincidence that he put one story right after the other with the same question. He wants us to notice something. He says, what do you want me to do for you, Bartimaeus? And the blind man said this in the next verse. He says, Rabbi, I want to see. And Jesus said, go. Your faith has healed you. When do you think that faith began? In that moment or when he called out? Immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. So the question, what do you want me to do for you? In one instance, Jesus says, no, I'm not giving you what you want. In the other instance, Jesus, of course, says yes, and, I, and he heals the man and restores the sight. One story, James and John, right, they wanted to ride the coattails of Jesus to the top. They wanted greatness, selfish gain. In the other story, a man wanted sight. He wanted to be able to see. Maybe we could say it this way. In one story, these two men wanted to be seen by others as great. In the other story, a man wanted to see all of God's greatness. 
You know what I'm saying? He wanted the ability to see the world that God had created. And he's like, can I see, which on surface feels like, feels like a selfish request. I want to see. But listen, he came to the only one that could give him that request. And he asked him in faith before he actually asked. He, asked, he said, hey, do what I want. Do what I want. He called out Messiah first. And then Jesus said, okay, you have faith. What do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus wanted to see. He wanted healing. And I don't think there's, it's, it's no, you know, symbolism and deeper meaning is never lost in the, in the scriptures, of course. It's never lost in the stories of Jesus. And I don't, I don't find it coincidental that one story, you know, you know was so self-seeking. And the other story, the other story was about vision. The other story is about seeing the world. It was about, and, and, and I even believe Mark is trying to put in there being able to see the things that Jesus wants us to see, right? The way he wants us to see it. So what you want matters. It matters to Jesus. He cares about what you're asking for. He cares about what you're seeking. He cares about what you're desiring because he wants to give you what you want, but he wants to make sure those wants or the right thing. In today's world, we've embraced the idea of want as pertaining to the things that we consume, the places that we go, maybe the things that we wear. And so we say things like, ah, I want Chick-fil-A. I want to go on vacation to Australia, mate. <laughs> you know, I want some new shoes, right? The cultural icons of materialism consumerism, and even at a deeper level, secularism are having a huge impact on us and creating what I would call an external want-seeking way of life. Through this, and they do this through a lot of ways. They do it through digital algorithms, right? Digital algorithms that create your own personal targeted advertising campaign that pops up on your phone every time you open an app and you're like, how did they know I wanted that? Be careful what you search for, friends. It's going to pop up in an app telling you what you want. <laughs> so to get into this, let me, let me talk about what I mean by external want seeking, because that was kind of a, a, a particular phrase that I said intentionally. A couple weeks ago, I showed you this image. We'll put it on screen about the temple, about the structure of the Old Testament temple, how it had three chambers and inside those, there's a, there's a really cool kind of connection between the Old Testament temple and now the New Testament temple, which is our body, right? And the New Testament temple, meaning us, is very much the same in which the structure goes like this. There's the outer courts where everyone has access to the outer courts. There's the inner courts or called the holy place where only certain people have access to it. And of course, in your own life, I've talked about this two weeks ago, but in your own life, this is true. You have people who... There's the outer courts. Everybody knows you. It's your social media presence. It's whatever. And then there's the inner court. Those are the people that know you better. This may have layers, but there's an inner court of people that you allow into that chamber. And then inside, deep in us, is the Holy of Holies. And when it comes to the temple, of course, that's only God and one other person per year. But in our lives, this is the only person that has access to this. God is there residing within us, and we're the only ones that meet with God in this place. This is our Holy of Holies. Now, a similar description could be used to describe our wants. And I'll just say it real quickly. It's very simple. We have external wants, personal wants, and holy wants. 
And here's what these things are. External wants are things like consumer goods and services, social acceptance, entertainment, comfort, security. These are our external wants that sometimes trigger inside of us and those are the things we want. Personal wants, well, these are deeper a little bit, right? These are our, these are our relationships, the want to, for marriage, the want for friendships. Uh, none of these things are bad, by the way. Um, they're all good things. Maybe this is a job you like, emotional and physical health, provision, meaning I need some of that money to live, right? Those are our personal wants. And then there are holy wants that live deep within us that are things like love and forgiveness and identity and meaning and purpose and life to the full, that dream, right? And so there's, there's in us these holy wants. And so the, the rational question when I show you this is this, at which layer do you possess the deepest want or desire? And here's the good news. The good news is I believe most of us at our deepest level when you like strip it all away, most of us want the holy desires. Follow me. At our deepest level, we do want love. We do want identity. We do want to experience life to the full. But here's the bad news. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. Which layer do you spend the most time on? Which layer do you seek the most? We have something of what I'd like to call a situation. <laughs> Here's what, here's, <laughs> we don't always do what we want. Last week I said, we don't always do what we know. Oh my goodness, we have a lot of problems. We know things and want things and we still don't do them. I mean, I know that I should eat a salad instead of the double cheeseburger. I know this. But I betray what I know for what I want all the time. Today, I'm taking it a step deeper. What happens when I don't even do the things that I want the most? If, if, if my holy desires are really my deepest, most personal, most real, authentic desire, then why, why do I spend more time on the external wants? I mean, think about it. This, this plays out in a lot of situations. Some of us might say, you know, more than anything, I don't, I don't know why, 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 I can't you know, forgive that person. I want to forgive them, but I can't. Why can't I do what I want? Or maybe on a more practical level, I want to read my Bible regularly. I want to do it more consistently. It's something that I truly do want. I even know that I should, but I still don't do it. I struggle to do it. So what is up with this reality that we know things and even want things, but still struggle to do them? Most of us spend the majority of our energy, just so you know, even though we know what we want, we spend the majority of our energy on our external wants. And I know we probably already get that, but we obsess over our material products, our $6 lattes, right, and decorating our houses. That's what we obsess over. And we fill our margins with entertainment and feeling socially accepted. That's what we fill our margins with. It's called social media, right? And Netflix. And even during this time of year, as we move closer to Christmas, we are now moving into this season where we are starting to make Christmas lists. And when think about Christmas lists, some of you don't do them, but a growing number of adults are making Christmas lists, which is quite interesting, the evolution of Christmas lists. But the 2020 Christmas list, we're all used to making them now because we want to make sure we get what we want, right? 
So we make a list. It used to be kids would be like, I want a football, maybe some Legos, or I don't know, clothes, whatever, right? And they'd make this real general list, but now it's brand specific, color specific. Let's go ahead and embed that link <laughs> straight into the list so the gift giver won't make an accidental mistake and they can actually get me what I want with no mistakes. The gift giver, I'm not a hater. Because the gift giver, this is, a nice, this is a nice thing, right? We know we aren't messing up. And because here's the deal, we're just saving ourselves all some time from buying each other the wrong things, right? My point is, I think we're getting a little too good at external want seeking. Most people would say they don't believe that more stuff equals more happiness, but we don't live that way. The interesting effect of, of getting more stuff it doesn't actually satisfy us. It actually only increases our want for more. So the more you shop, the more you will want to shop. This isn't an anti-shopping message. It's just, it's just, I'm making a point. All right. Don't get mad at me if you like shopping. But when I get a new pair of shoes, it's the, that is the moment in which I'm most dissatisfied with the rest of my shoes. I want to go get another pair of shoes because the more I shop, the more I want to shop. The more I watch Netflix, the more I want to watch Netflix. The more I eat donuts, the more I want to eat donuts. The more that I do things like gossip, the more I want to gossip. The more that I go too far with my boyfriend or girlfriend, which I have a wife, thankfully now, the more I go too far with my boyfriend or girlfriend, right? Our practices and our habits actually shape who we're becoming. They have something to say about who we are because you aren't just shopping and you aren't just eating and you aren't just watching Netflix. You're doing something to your heart. So I want you to consider this thought. It's a big one. I'll put it on screen. Do you chase less significant external wants, i.e. shoes, vacations, lattes, and comforts? I know it gets deeper than that, but I'm just having fun with it. With greater joy, urgency, routine, and vision than the deeper want for rich spiritual renewal and kingdom impact in the world around you? It's a big question. I get that. But it's really a question of assessment, isn't it? It's like taking inventory. It's an internal audit of your want. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Are you ready to answer that question? The only way you can answer it is if you've thought about what you're doing and what you really want. So we're living a life these days in which a lot has been handed to us in the sense of we don't even have a choice. Like I said at the very beginning, there's a lot of things about life that just says we have to do this. This is the expectation and whether we like it or not. So are we living a life that's handed to us one little algorithm at a time? I think that's a question. Are we, are we living a life in which we're more like James and John in which we're just kind of we're, we're self-seeking in our wants? Or are we, are we doing something that Jesus called us to do? Because the, the point that, that I made a couple weeks ago about our relationships from the outer courts to the Holy of Holies in the sense that we live from the outside in, the same can be applied to this topic of wants. We live from the outside in instead of the inside out. And the problem with that, oh, you've already probably got ahead of it, the problem with that is when we spend hours and hours and hundreds and hundreds of decisions on really putting our energy and time into external wants, even for a Christian who has the love of God in them, life ends up becoming hollow because we've put all of our energy on the outside and the, empty, and the inside is empty. 
And so emptiness becomes a problem not only for Christians, but for people in the world because we're external want-seeking instead of internal want-seeking. Christian theology says, some, well, let me, let me say this first. I, I forgot to say this uh, amazing quote by A.W. Tozer. He says this, the greatest enemy is not outside of us. It is within. within. It is an attitude of accepting things as they are. You see, we can easily think that the life that's been handed to us, what he's saying, we can easily think that it's, been inevitable. it's inevitable. We can't do anything about it. We can easily accept things as they are. But here's the other thing that I think people assume about what Tozer's saying. We assume that he's talking about, like, we accept things if they're bad, like, oh, it's, I can't do anything about it. He's not saying we accept things as they are if they're bad. I think he's also saying we accept things as they are if we think life is good yeah. or it's somewhere in between. He's saying, listen, it doesn't matter if your life is good, bad, or in between. You can't accept things as they are because Christian theology has always taught about transformation, about progress. It's never static. We never reach it. There's always more of God. There's always more of the Spirit. There's always more hope. There's always something better that God wants to do in us and through us. And so the idea that we can accept things as they are, as if I'm doing good enough, I'm feeling good enough, or even like the other side where I can't do anything about this mountain that's ahead of me. I just gotta accept this, it just is what it is. As Christians, we have been called by Jesus to live differently. From the prevailing ways of culture, right? Which they, they, they the prevailing ways of culture have all sorts of ethics that we can buy into. And there's really inside the scriptures, Jesus teaches a kingdom ethic around a lot of subjects, really all matters of life. Pretty much you can find something on all matters of life, what Jesus taught. But even if you just went to the big wants that people have in life, there's ethics around money, sex, and power. Those are the wants, right? Those are the big ones. Jesus gives us a kingdom ethic for each of those. With money, God... God gives us restraints to what we do with our money. He teaches us how to follow him and trust him with, this, with our money. Because here's what God is doing. He's not trying to prevent you from anything. He's trying to protect you from yourself. Remember that idea with James and John? He's trying to say, listen, I want to I instill in you a life of generosity and trust versus one of greed and all sorts of evil that money can lead to. So he gives us an ethic around money, but yet we feel like we can do whatever we want with our money. He gives us an ethic around sex. We live, in a, we live in a society in which, you know, hey, the freedom of uh, sexual expression is whatever you want it to be. But he does the same thing, thing with this, where he says, Jesus comes, he gives her strengths to it, but he also redeems it to its original tent, its beauty. And he says, if you follow my ways, you'll experience a better life than this so-called sexual freedom. He does this around power. There's an eth a prevailing ethic around power that's played out. We see it. We've seen it. We're dealing with it right now. It's played out in, in areas like race and gender and nationality and social class and subsequent oppression and bigotry and hatred and wars and fear that have all happened out of a deep power struggle in humanity. And he's saying, listen, power struggles only lead to fear. And we're going to fear one another when we try and have power over one another. And he's saying, listen, listen, listen. Power looks to create this, but Jesus created a way of equality and love and grace. But listen, and truth. 
Because here's the thing. He's like, listen, I want you to love all people, but I'm also wanting you to give truth to all people because we can't, we, we, we must, uh, we can never compromise the truth in the name of love. And so that's why it's, it's grace and truth. So he says, I'm going to call you up to a better humanity, one not rooted in power, but one rooted in grace and truth. The world says you should be free to do whatever you want. Are you guys following me? You should be free to do whatever you want. Clearly, Jesus was all about freedom, right? But Jesus was about a kind of freedom that sets you free from sin and lets you out of the prison of darkness, all right? That was his primary idea of setting you free from the chains of sin. The second was, or maybe the first, was whenever God says, you have the freedom to choose your Lord. This started in the garden. Adam and Eve were in the garden. He gave them one restraint, one restraint for their own protection and their own good. But it was a restraint that allowed relationship to happen. Will you choose me? God said to Adam and Eve. That's basically the question, right? You have the freedom to do what you want, but those choices have a purpose and a meaning and subsequent, if you will, all sorts of ramifications. He gives us the same freedom to, tr- to choose and to trust his ways that he gave Adam and Eve. Yeah. And that's why we don't have the freedom to bend and reshape his ways to our ways. We can't do that. That's like saying to Jesus, we want you to do what we, what we want you to do. That's like, hey, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. He has a way. And he says, will you choose it? I'm going to give you some restraints, but it's going to be all for your good. It's actually going to lead you to the life that you want. All those things that are deep down inside of you that you really want, those holy ones, I can give those to you. But will you submit to my ways? Our culture is gripped by the need for freedom. And, uh, and I think it's one that we stumble over a little bit. You know, we live <clears throat> in an immediate gratification culture. Anybody agree with that? Yeah. Author Pete Scazzaro, he... Uh, he says we need to submit to the practice of a slowed down spirituality, which for me, uh, he defines that, by the way, through things like solitude and Sabbath and uh, uh, silence even. Like we need to slow down the way we practice um, our faith so we can get into deeper heart matters, which I agree with. And I like to think, though, of a slowed down spirituality as the counterculture to the immediate gratification world we live in, in the sense that... Um, Sometimes it just takes time, and we don't like to give time to anything that isn't, you know. That's why, that's why we like the external wants, right? It's a, it's a, we, we can go get it, and there's an immediate satisfaction, and we think that it's actually satisfying our want, but it's actually not, and we still end up hollow. But the, the better things in life take time. It's why people are starting to leave the fast food scene and loving in to step into something maybe a little more slow and quality with their foods, right? And so, you know, we're willing to pay higher prices and wait longer for better food. And that seems like a great thing. But I think we're still masking something that's not even really true. Because how many of you ever went to a restaurant and you're thinking, we're going to eat good tonight, we're not in a hurry? We're just going to slow pace this thing. It's going to be fantastic. And then the food takes a little longer than you expected. And what happens? You're like, where's the food? 
why is it taking so long? And so here's my point, is that even when we're not in a hurry, we're in a hurry. Immediate gratification, even in a place where we're trying to not be hurried, becomes hurried. Our culture is gripped by this. But slowed down spirituality flips the script. And it says we're going to work from the inside out. And we're going to trust the process of transformation in my life. A slowed down spirituality ensures that we, keep, we don't keep doing the life that's been handed to us one algorithm at a time. It's a little more intentional than that. A slowed down spirituality helps us pay attention to what we really want and what we're really doing. And do those things match up? A slowed down spirituality allows us to step back from ourselves and consider what God may want to do and maybe answer big questions like assessment questions that I threw on the screen a few moments ago. You can't, you can't answer those questions, you know, just at, at, in a flyby setting. You can't answer that question this morning. You can take that question with you, but you're going to have to slow down with it and let it sit in your heart. So here's what I want to do today. I actually want to give you some homework. I don't think I've ever said homework to you guys before. I want to encourage you to do something this week. Is that all right? You guys okay with some homework? All right. Uh, so here's, here's the gist of the homework. It's four things. All right. I want you to slow down. I want you to do an assessment. I want you to clarify one want, and I want you to implement a plan. <laughs> Y'all ready? Yes. Go do it. Just kidding. I'll talk about it a little bit. All right. So let me, let me explain what I mean by this. At the end of this, you can snap a picture because I know you need to, if you don't want to write all what I'm about to put on the screen, you can just snap a picture for your homework, all right? So here it is. First, slow down. I just talked about slow down spirituality, and basically this is as simple as it sounds. You need to make extra time this week. And you're like, well, this week's kind of busy. I know. Um, you need to slow down this week if you want to try. I mean, this is the homework for this week, all right? Slow down this week. Make some extra time. Disrupt your normal routine and rhythm, whatever it is you do. And you may say, well, I can, you know, I have one day this week that I can, like, chunk, you know, get a chunk of time, a couple, two, three hours that I can kind of lean into this. Go for that. If you're like, no, I want to give more like 20 minutes, extra 20, 30 minutes every day to this. However you want to do it, my, my point is that you intentionally make a plan to slow down and you figure out when that is and you do it. So you can actually assess, pray, and consider your wants. The second thing is do an assessment. Ask yourself, and I'm going to define this assessment by asking yourself three questions. So this is an internal audit of yourself. Um, and I would suggest typing out your thoughts if you're, you know, use a phone or, or a, you know, a computer or something, or if you just want to write them out in a journal. And if you don't like to write anywhere or type anywhere, I get it. Okay, fine. Pray these things through really, really well. And so here's the three questions. What are some of my deepest spiritual desires or wants? And that's the first question, but you got to have to, just a little add to that is, are those desires consistent with, with, with what Jesus would want for you? So you, that's even a little bit underneath that question. But what are some of my deepest spiritual desires and wants? Number two, does my time practices and spiritual rhythms align with my deepest spiritual desires? Explain. So this is like asking yourself, do I actually spend the time on the things that I say I want the most? spiritually speaking, those holy wants. Number three, what external wants or ways or secular, uh, of secular culture are taking too much of my energy, time, resources, and or passion? Now, I'll say this, external wants aren't bad, but they can become disproportionate 
in our time and energy, right? So what external wants or ways of secular culture are taking up too much of my energy, time, and resources, and passion? And then after you answer those questions, you can start the process of clarifying, and we're just going to start with this, one want. I mean, you can, we can obviously probably get more than one want, but let's start with one. What is a spiritual want or desire that you can do something about immediately? This may be a deep desire to totally reform your uh, morning routine or your night routine. Because what you do in the morning and at night actually has an impact on who you are becoming. You need to, or maybe you need to go talk to someone because you have a relational kind of healing that needs to take place. Or maybe there's a spiritual healing that needs to take place. Or a physical discipline is like, I need to get this physical discipline back in my life because it affects me spiritually, whatever. Or perhaps you want to take the next step, you know, relationally at the church or I don't know what it is but what is one want that you desire maybe it's to disciple someone or to be discipled yourself clarify one want and then number four implement a plan what do you need to do in order to do what you really want you may be the I just believe you are the best person by the way to figure that out for yourself Uh, for many of us I feel like this might end up in a, you can take a picture, yeah, if you want to take a picture, but this might end up in a spiritual rhythm or practice um, and maybe a new routine to your day or uh, some sort of spiritual discipline, or this may, some sort of action-oriented thing of loving a neighbor or serving a person or, or whatever it may be that just allows you to actually do the things you truly want, because like I said at the beginning, what you want matters. And slowed down spirituality understands this. It understands that God can't be microwaved and neither can you. That was really good, by the way. (laughs) Slowed down spirituality understands that God can't be microwaved and neither can you. God is about the work of the human heart and that takes time, friends. It takes time. And the work of spiritual renewal... It's an unknown timetable. Let me just give you a little bit of the tension between the kingdom is now and not yet, which is a very theological sort of understanding of how we live in the present tense with the full reality of the kingdom of God, but there's still more coming. So, so here's the thing. I need to live today like the things that I want, that God can do anything, that I can be the Bartimaeus today, that I could say, this is what I want, and he gives it to me. But I also might live in seasons of life where I'm like Joseph, you know his story, where God gives him a dream and it takes decades for God to fulfill that, but God was faithful to the want and to the desires. And so for you to live now is the kingdom is now and not yet is to know that God can do anything at any moment at any time, but he also may take the time of a lifetime of transformation to do the greatest work in your life. And so friends, You have some homework, but the idea is that if we're actually going to do this way of life, that we aren't just gonna say we know what to do and we know our wants, but we're gonna actually figure out, am I doing the things that I know and that I want that are in my heart that God has put in my heart already? So I I wanna read a passage and then I'm done. Right on time, friends. It's what I do. I haven't even looked at my clock yet. Psalm 25 has some words that are a perfect way to close and to lead us into prayer. 
It says, in you, Lord my God, I put my trust. Everyone say my trust. I trust in you. Show me your ways, Lord. Say, show me your ways, Lord. Lord, teach me in your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. Anybody want that in their life? Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. Show me your ways, Lord. Come on. Teach me your paths. Guide me in truth and teach me. For you are my God, my Savior. My hope is in you all day long. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray. Stand up. Father, we come to you. We believe that, Father, you have a way that you've put out there for us to follow. And we want to be people who are passionate, who are wholeheartedly committed to the ways that you've set before us, Father. That we would truly be able to say this prayer that David said, that, Lord, show me your ways, teach me your paths, guide me, teach me. Lord, we want that to be our heart every day. Lord, I pray this week for any person that takes time to slow down, that, Lord, you would meet them in that moment. We pray, Holy Spirit, that this would be a week that has a whole bunch of unexpected things happening in people's lives because they stop long enough to realize that, Lord, you take the time to do the work of the human heart. And so, Father, we want to give you the time to do it. And so, Lord, I pray for uh, each and every person in this week as they do that, that, Lord, you would move in those times. And just on that note, everybody's heads are bowed. I'm I'm, I'm praying, of course. Um, If you just feel like even a conviction right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slow down this week so I can just take an assessment of my heart just before the Lord say, I, I, I'm just going to raise my hand and say, Lord, I want to do that this week. I want to do that this week. Lift, lift your hand if you just want to do that. No one's looking around. That's so good, Father. I just pray as we acknowledge that we even want that, that, Father, this would be one of those wants that we pursue with a heart of humility, a heart of servanthood, a heart of hope, and a heart of trust that we would choose you, Father. Lord, we love you. We pray all these things in your name. And everybody said together, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.